0: Okay, so the first reading tonight is from the book of Joshua, um, chapter 5, verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse. And the people will go up, every man straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, Advance, march around the city, with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets. And the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the people, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the Ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once, Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there.
1: Okay, just continuing on with that reading from verse 12 to 27. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priest took up the Ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the... "'marching before the Ark of the Lord "'and blowing the trumpets. "'The armed men went ahead of them "'and the rearguard followed the Ark of the Lord "'while the trumpets kept sounding. "'So on the second day, "'they marched around the city once "'and returned to the camp. "'They did this for six days. "'On the seventh day, "'they got up at daybreak "'and marched around the city seven times "'in the same manner, "'except that on that day, "'they circled the city seven times.' The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you this city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into the treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so every man charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord. And destroyed with the sword everything living in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out, and all who who belong to her, in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the man who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn, will he lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, will he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land.
2: Thanks, Joe. Tonight is actually the last night that, where's Rach worth? Is she here tonight? There she is. So Rach is leaving us as her last Sunday with us for six months and is heading to uh, to Singapore for work. So I want to pray for Rach and we look forward to welcoming you back at the beginning of next year. Let me pray. Father, thank you for bringing Rach to us. Thank you for your good work in her life. We pray that you will go before her and provide for her every need. We pray for housing and a church and friendships in Singapore, please keep her walking very closely with you and give us the joy of seeing her return to us in the new year. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight we're looking at Joshua 6 and we're looking at the, uh, the power of God or the, the victory of God, if you want. See, God describes himself in the Bible as the all-powerful one. Uh, the word is the almighty one. The, the big word is he's omnipotent. That means that nothing is beyond his ability. He has the power to do whatever he pleases. You know how the Bible says that with God nothing is impossible. Well, Ephesians says that uh, now to him who is able, who is powerful, to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That's how God describes himself. The all powerful one, the almighty one who is able to do whatever he pleases. I don't know about you, but it's it's easy to sing songs about God's power. You know, to the God of victory, or glory be, or, or God is able, He's on our side. It's easy in some ways to, to pray the Lord's Prayer. You know, Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. It's easy to sing about God's power. It's easy to talk about God's power. But let's be honest, sometimes it's really hard to believe that God really is all-powerful. So let me ask you, when do you doubt the power of God the most? At what times in your life do you doubt that God really is the all-powerful one? Maybe like a friend of mine that you've just been diagnosed with a a terminal illness. You've got cancer. And at those times you think, is God really powerful enough to heal me? Or maybe it's a time when you are lacking something that you you desperately want. You desperately need. Is God really powerful enough to give me that thing? that job that I long for, that spouse that I long for, that baby that I long for. Or maybe you're just in that time of life where you are sad and you are grieving and you're just going through the depth of trial and despair and you say, is God really powerful enough to to uphold me through this? When, When do you doubt the power of God the most? And let me ask you why. Why do you doubt that God is all-powerful? Is it perhaps because you feel that God is so distant? Perhaps you, God doesn't seem to give you everything that you ask, or everything that you, you want, and so you start to say, well, maybe God isn't powerful. Or maybe deep down, Deep down, you're just questioning whether God really cares for you. Because if he did care for me, then he'd give me what I wanted. What causes you to doubt God's power? Because that's how he describes himself. He is the almighty God. He is the omnipotent God. He is the all-powerful one who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Let me say, friends, if you are doubting God's power, or when you find yourself doubting the power of God, Please come back to Joshua chapter 6. It's this glorious chapter which just shouts out to you, God is the all-powerful one. To the God of victory, all glory be to the one who conquered all. Let's take up the, uh, the film concept. So, so you just heard the story read. You've got, you've got Jericho, which is this fortified city with these massive brick walls. I mean, imagine, you know the, the Northbridge Bridge. So north of Sydney. That's one of the bridges coming to the city, and you've got these massive brick walls, you've got these powerful people inside, and you're about to see the walls come, come tumbling down. Now, if you were going to make a film of that, what, what type of film would you make? I imagine there would be guns and there would be swords and fires and chariots and bloods and fighting and sort of a gladiator style film with, with Russell Crowe or... or Whoever you want to have is your lead actor. But do you remember the film that that won the the Oscars this year? It was called The Artist. Now what was striking about that film? It was a silent film. The actors didn't speak. And if you're going to be true to the Bible, that would be the film version of Joshua chapter 6. Did you spot that? You've got verse after verse after verse of God's people, the Israelites, walking around the city walls, and what are they doing? What are they saying? Absolutely nothing. The only noise you've got in this film is these priests blowing these trumpets. It would have been spectacular. Did anyone see the, uh, the Queen's Jubilee pageant on the River Thames? It was supposed to be spectacular. It was actually a bit boring, wasn't it? It was a bit dull. This wouldn't have been dull. This would have been riveting and spectacular. You'd have these priests that we meet in, in verse 4, the seven priests, and they're dressed in their robes and their turbans and their sash, and, and they're carrying these horns, the ram's horns. And you've got these people, some at the front, some at the back, hundreds of thousands of people, and in the middle of it all, you've got the Ark of the Covenant, and the, the Ark is the place where the stone tablets were kept. It was precious. It was holy. And day after day after day, they march around the city in silence and go back to the camp. Day two, march around the city in silence, back to the camp. Day three, day four, day five, day six. The writer can't be bothered to talk about these because it's all the same. Six days of just wandering around in silence. And on the seventh day, they, they wander around seven times and, and they blow the, the, the trumpet cor- horns. And Joshua gives the command, shout! And they shout, and what happens? It's a bit like that. You know There's explosions where they, they, they explode whole sky rises. It was just a, a bit of dynamite. And the whole thing just comes tumbling down. That's the picture. All the walls just come tumbling down. And that was the battle of Jericho. But the, the thing about this chapter, you don't get a battle. You've got just people wandering around in silence. All you've got is two verses, verse 21 and 22. They gave a loud shout and the wall collapsed. Just two words, collapsed walls. And they charged straight and did take the city. We make, we make a mistake because we make this into an action film. It's not at all, it's just a, a silent movie. We make a mistake because if we were to make this film, we would ignore God and we just focus on Joshua. Do you ever sing those kids' songs in kids' church? Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, hallelujah, hallelujah. Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. What did Joshua do in this story? Not a lot. <laughs> he just gave the command to shout, and they shouted. The, the, Joshua isn't a hero. God is the hero here. If we were to make this film, maybe the mistake that we would make is to misunderstand the type of God who is all-powerful. Because if you put power in the wrong hands, that can be horrific. And this was a day of horror, wasn't it? Good verse verse 20 and 21 again. Every man charged straight in and it took the city and they devoted the city to the Lord and they destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep and donkey. Isn't that horrific? Total devastation. That's why some people struggle with the God of this chapter. Here's what one person said. This God is arguably the most disgusting character ever created. He's jealous, petty, unjust, unforgiving, a control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, megalomaniacal, sadio capricious, malevolent bully who's responsible for the bloodthirsty massacre of thousands of people. Unless you understand the God of this chapter, that's the conclusion that you come to. This chapter is not about Joshua. It's not about the action, and it's certainly not about a despotic God who is wielding his power unjustly. It's about a God who is faithful and a God who is kind and a God who is sovereign and a God who is good, who has the power, who brings the victory. I want to leave you with three aspects of God's character tonight that will I ha- hope will help you. Be confident in the all-powerful God. Here's the first one up on the screen. The all-powerful God is sovereign. He's in control. That's the truth you need to cling on. You might have missed it in the story. Look at 5 verse 13. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man, a strange man, standing in front of him with a drawn sword. So he's like a warrior. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. As commander of the Lord's army, I have now come. And Joshua responds in a strange way. He falls face down in reverence and says, what message does my Lord have for his servant? He said, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. Doesn't verse 15 remind you another part of the Bible where they take off their sandal because the place is holy. It's where Moses meets God in the burning bush, and so this army of the, the Lord, this commander, is a manifestation of God Himself. The Bible calls it a theophany, where God appears as an angel or as a man or in fire. God appears to speak to His people. But what does God say to Joshua? Look at the, the, the first word he says, neither, verse 14. Such a strange word. See what Joshua asks back in verse 13? He said, Joshua says, are you for us or for our enemies? If you were to say to God, are you, for, are you for us or for our enemies, what do you expect God to say? Wouldn't you expect to say, of course I'm for you? But God says, Neither. Here's what I think is happening. Joshua, he's saying, are you on my side or are you on their side? God, will you fight with me or will you fight against me? And God says to Joshua, Joshua, learn this. I'm not on anyone's side. I'm in charge of it all. I'm in control of it all. I reckon Joshua sees this this commander of the army And he thinks, ah, that could be the man that I need to win this battle. Get him onto my side and we'll be okay. And God says to Joshua, Joshua, it's not how do I fit into your plans. I don't just give you the victory that you really want. Joshua, you fit into my plans. Neither, I'm in charge of this battle, not you. And I hope you've learned that. When it comes to your life, when it comes to your battles, it's not about getting God onto your side. God's in control of it all. You just ask to submit to Him, to humble yourself before Him, to fall face down before Him and say, "You are God." As when you've recognized that God is sovereign, it's such a comfort. Because you don't know what the outcome will be, you don't know how you'll get through this situation, you don't know where you'll end up, but you know that God knows. God knows what will happen, and he has the power to make it happen. And I reckon that's why we really doubt God's power. Because deep down, we don't trust that God is in control. So when my plans don't happen, rather than saying, oh, it wasn't God's will, we say, why God, or where are you, God? when we're disappointed and discouraged, rather than clinging on to God, we we blame God. That simple truth, that word neither, reminds you that God is in control, not you. Here's the second point, that the all-powerful God is present with his people. Isn't that a glorious truth? That your God never leaves you, that your God never forsakes you. You see, God had made a promise 400 years ago that he would take his people into the promised land, into Jericho, into Canaan. And now he keeps that promise. But God doesn't just look on from afar. God just doesn't use his strength and his power to to wave his magic wand and get his people into the land. God is right there, right with his people, dwelling with his people, leading them to victory. See if you can spot it in verse 6 onwards. What's a common thing in these verses? So so Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of the ark. And he ordered the people, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward blowing their trumpets and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them the armed guards marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guards followed the ark and all the time the trumpets were sounding. What's the common thing there? What's at the center of this battle? The ark of the Lord. It comes ten times in those few verses. Joshua's trying to say, it was the ark. That was center stage. And if you know your Bibles, the ark is a symbol for what? for the presence of God. The ark was the place where where God was with his people. By uh, by cloud by day, by fire by night. And God is just saying through this chapter, I was there. I was the one who was with my army, with my people. The victory belongs to me. You've got other hints of God's presence. If you're into Bible numbers, you've got the number seven. Seven priests blowing seven trumpets, marching for seven days and going seven times around around the city on that last day. And in the Bible, the number seven is all about God, God's perfection, God's completion. You see, see, the battle belongs to the Lord. What do the people do in this fight? What do they do to to cause the walls to fall down? Not a lot. Not a lot. They didn't lift a finger, they didn't push anything, they didn't shoot anybody, all they did was just shout. And I love it. God is saying, you know, the the strongest city, the most fortified walls, it is nothing for me. I can just do anything. I hope you've got this. God didn't just look on from afar, he was right there in the middle of the battle, dwelling in the ark, powerfully present with his people. And he wants all the glory to go to him. And I reckon that's a rebuke for you and me. Because we love to steal the glory from God, don't we? We love to steal the glory. We love to think that we're important and think that we're indispensable and we are the all-powerful ones. Or we love to fight the battles by ourselves. I can do it. I'm strong. I'm the mighty one. This is totally humbling. Every battle, any victory, is all because of the powerful presence of God. And it is a comfort. Remember, God took them into Jericho, God took them into the promised land, and God was with them every step of the way. And that's the comfort for you, my friends. As God takes you to glory, as God takes you into the promised land, he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And when you get there, when you get to glory, please don't start to tell God what you did as part of that. All glory goes to him. But, but it's not just getting to heaven, is it? The Christian life is not just about entering heaven. It's about the day day, today, tomorrow, next month. And the battles that you will face every single day of your Christian life. The, the Bible calls, calls out fighting against the, the world and the flesh and the devil. And as you fight in this world, as you battle on in this world, I love this chapter because it just reminds me that, that God is with me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. And for me and for you, the presence of God is so much more than just carrying an ark around the city. For you and for me, the presence of God is God's spirit dwelling in us, isn't it? As 1 John says, greater is he who lives in us than he who's in the world. So whatever battles you're facing, whatever trials or tragedy you're facing on your way to the promised land, day after day after day, God is with you. God is dwelling amongst you. Never leaving you, never forsaking you. Do you remember the story of the little Indian boy. Part of the transition from being a boy to a man is that he had to sleep outside overnight. And this little boy was utterly terrified of the dark. And so as darkness came down, he started to be fearful. He he hid in his tent and he lay awake all night. You can just imagine he heard every noise, every bark of an animal, every twig that broke. And, And as the sun rose... This dark shadow came over the tent, and this boy let out his, this scream. And then he poked his head outside the tent, utterly terrified. And then he saw his dad standing next to the tent where he'd been all night, watching over him, seeing his every, every moment and movement and that is your God and my God. He's always with us. He never leaves you. The third point tonight is this, that the all-powerful God is totally just. His justice shines through in this chapter. And that's good news for some, but not for all, isn't it? See, See, if you understand God's justice rightly, God's patient justice means he must destroy his enemies. And that's why verse 21 is so horrible. Uh, They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women and young and old, cattle, sheep and donkeys. And there's no embarrassment, there's no defense of it, there's no explanation of it. It's just that God is being just. God's justice means he must punish sin. If you remember the the Canaanites were, were, were not innocent people. Please don't think about these people within Jericho as being sort of lovely people who gave money to the poor and needy and sung love songs to each other and always being kind and compassionate. They were ghastly people. The people of Jericho were degenerate and they were wicked and uh, they committed the most gross sexual sins of incest and bestiality and they even burned their own children alive. That's the kind of people they were. And when you hear that, you think, it's right and it's just that God punishes them. If you you saw me shout at my boys, I guess that you would be concerned. If you saw me hit my boys, I guess you'd be very concerned. If you saw me burn my boys, I bet you'd be asking for justice. It's the same with the Canaanites. They, They deserve punishment. It's not as if God hadn't been patient with them. They've had 400 years to change their ways. God gave them every opportunity to repent. And he's patient with us, isn't it? He doesn't want anyone to perish. But there will be a day called Judgment Day when God's justice will be seen very clearly. And according to the words of Jesus, those who have disobeyed God and ignored God and denied God will be punished with everlasting destruction. And that day... That destruction will be far, 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 far worse than the water of come coming down. And you can't play the innocent card, and you can't play I don't deserve it card. We're getting exactly what we deserve. But shining through, the flip side of God's justice is that, yes, he will punish his enemies, but he will protect his own people. He will show grace and mercy and protection And refuge to those who are his own. See the way that the all powerful God treated Rahab? Verse 22 Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house, Rahab's house. Remember her from chapter 2? She had faith. She hung up the scarlet cord, she trusted God. And so on that day, she was safe. Verse 23, so the, the young men who had done the spying went in and they brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Can you imagine that scene in your film? It's, it's like the 9-11 film, you know, where the, 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 the towers come tumbling down and they've got all that dust cloud and out of that dust cloud come these two men. And behind them, there's, there's a woman and she's not likable. She's not lovable. She's a prostitute. But she's safe because she's took refuge in God. And her father and her mother and her brothers, all who believe in God, are safe. See, on that day, friends, when God's justice is poured out, the only way to stand, the only way to be safe, is to put your trust in the grace and the kindness and compassion of God. Remember how John puts it? If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sin. You ever understood that verse before? If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. If God is just, he must punish our sins. But God's justice means that He can't punish sin twice. He's already punished it once at Calvary. On the cross of Calvary, where where the Lord Jesus Christ took the punishment for your sins. So it would be unjust of God to punish you a second time. And that's why you can stand on that day. And I say, Thank you, Lord Jesus. God is sovereign, God is present, God is just. And those three things together means that your all powerful God is somebody worth knowing, isn't He? He knows everything, He sees everything, He's with you always, He will judge justly. So, what's the response that He wants? Remember the old Christmas carol? What can I give Him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a rich man, I would do my part. But what I have, I give him. I give him my, my heart. That's all God wants from you. He wants your heart. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to obey him. There's this extraordinary cliffhanger in this story. It's down in verse 16. At the seventh time around the city, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now, what do you expect to happen then? You've marched around the city for seven days. You've been waiting for Joshua to say, Shout. What do you expect to happen? I'd shout. I've been waiting for seven days. But Joshua preaches a mini-sermon. He preaches about obedience and devotion to the Lord and keeping away from the devoted things of the Canaanites in verse 18. Now, I don't imagine that Joshua actually gave that sermon at that particular time. But I think it's been put here to make a point. He's saying that the wall's falling down. That's the easy bit. Lead that to God. But the question is, will you will you obey him? Can you imagine that you've just seen the power of God knock down some city walls? You've just seen Rahab being spared. You've just experienced the presence of God in the most glorious way. Of course you're going to obey God's word, aren't you? Of course you're going to do exactly what God asks you to do. No, you're not. Because that's what we're like all the time, isn't it? We see the power of God in so many ways. We experience the power of God in our daily life. He does provide that job. He does change your circumstances. He does orchestrate all the tiny things in your life. We know he has the power to raise sick people from the dead. But when we don't get exactly what we want... And we go back to ignoring God and questioning God and disobeying God, and we put our own hands on the steering wheel. Why are we so stupid? What's wrong with us? I think it's because we really question whether God is able. Is God really all powerful? Is God really with me? Is God really in control? All God asks for you, my friends, is that that He has your heart. And that means day by day, hour by hour, week by week, you trust him, you obey him, you do exactly what he tells you to do, even when you don't like it. So when do you doubt the power of God the most? Why do you doubt the power of God? God is with you, God is just, God is sovereign. Trust him and obey him. There's no other way. Let me pray. Father, forgive us for times when we think that we are able and we think that we are powerful and we think that we win our battles. Forgive us for times when we doubt your strength and your knowledge and your power. Forgive us for times when we question your justice. Lord, fill us afresh tonight with a renewed picture of how glorious and powerful and almighty you really are. If there are people here tonight, Lord, who are Going through trials and battles. May they leave here knowing that you're with them, that you are in control, you are just, and that you are the all powerful one. In Jesus' name.